All right. Uh, well, hey, welcome to Sojourn. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Justin, one of the pastors here, and it's always just good to gather together. Love singing with you guys this morning. Hope you've been encouraged in our time together so far. So let me pray for us uh, as we get into our time this morning, and, uh, and then we'll open up God's Word together. Father, we give you thanks for today. We thank you for the opportunity it is just to gather together as your church. And as we continue in our series uh, on being a faithful church, I pray that you'd help us just as we open up your word this morning to to receive what you say, to be challenged by it, to be convicted by it, and that it wouldn't just sit in our heads, uh, it would impact our hearts, and that through that it would go out and impact our lives as we go out into this community and into this world. Lord, help us to be a faithful church. We need your help. We need your empowerment to do that. And I pray that in our time and the preaching of your word this morning, that you would help us all the more to be able to do that. So we pray that you'd be honored, that you'd be glorified this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, every week at Sojourn, we preach from the Bible. If you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand uh, and somebody will bring a copy of the scriptures around to you. We want you to be able to read along with us. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy this morning. So if you already have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And, uh, and we're going to be hanging out there this morning. So just keep your hand up as long as you, uh, until somebody finds you if you're still looking for a Bible. And if you need that, if you don't own a copy of the scriptures, please feel free to take that home as a gift. Uh, we'd love for you to be able to read God's word throughout the week. You know, there's a lot going on in our world right now, and it doesn't take much or long in any given day for us to be confronted with the brokenness of our world. We can flip on the news, we can look at Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is where we receive information, we can just kind of walk outside and recognize that we live in a broken world. We're reminded on a regular basis there are wars raging in our world right now. There are millions of Syrians fleeing their country as we speak. We're reminded and confronted with the reality that racism still exists in our country. We're reminded that every year 3.4 million people die from water, sanitation, and hygiene-related issues, things that we take for granted here. We're reminded that drinking and driving can take a life or lives in an instant. We're reminded that people and companies think it's okay to sell human baby parts. We're reminded, as we just provided 10 care packages to victim services, we're reminded that sexual assault and human trafficking are happening in our city. And on top of that, we experience in our own lives, the lives of the people that we know, broken marriages and broken relationships and, and just broken homes and broken lives. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you came this morning because a friend invited you. Maybe you came this morning to gather with us because you're looking for some answers or looking for some hope. But all of us, no matter where we're at this morning, no matter what's going on in our personal lives, all of us at some point in time, in some way, some, sh- some shape, some form are confronted with and have to walk through and experience personal brokenness. And we all encounter the brokenness of the world that we live in. But church, brothers and sisters, all of this brokenness should not lead us as God's people to despair because we as God's people are not without hope. And what our world needs right now, what our neighbors need right now, is hope. And hope's name is Jesus. In the book of Acts, we see the early church exemplify the hope they have in Christ. The good news of who Christ is and what Christ has done has radically changed them. 
Jesus went to a cross and he died on that cross to bear the weight of the sin of his people. And he rose again And the early church experienced the reality of that resurrection in their lives. And it changed them. It changed the community around them. It radically altered their lives. Jesus died and Jesus rose again and he appeared to his disciples and he charged them to say, look, this isn't the end of the story. This isn't all there is. He charged them to go into all the world and to make disciples, to tell other people that Jesus is risen, to tell other people that there is hope. He charged them to go and be his witnesses, to testify to his finished work on the cross. And he sent the Holy Spirit to empower them to do the work he had called them to do. He said, I'm not going to let you do this on your own. You can't do it on your own. I'm going to send the Spirit to help you. And so what did they do? They went out. They went out and they preached the gospel. And we see in the book of Acts that more and more people heard and more and more people believed and more and more people crossed from death to life. And in Acts chapter 17, we see the effect of what's happening. The Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel. He's going in and around different cities and towns preaching the gospel. And and, and it's creating a buzz. It's creating a stir as as more and more people trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And they start to follow in in Jesus and be a part of his church. And and the religious leaders of that day, they don't like what's happening. They don't like the effect that it's having on the community. They see this effect. And so they go before the city council, before the town council. And they say this, Acts chapter 17, verse 6. They say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And did you catch what they said? They said they have turned the world upside down with the message of the gospel. Our world needs turning upside down right now. It needs hope. And none of the false gospels that the world preaches and teaches will give lasting hope. None of the the false good news that the world would give to us. Governments cannot provide lasting hope. Riches cannot provide lasting hope. Relationships cannot provide lasting hope. Religion cannot provide lasting hope. Only the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ can provide lasting hope to our neighbors and the nations. So sojourn, here's my question for you and for me this morning. Can we turn the world upside down once again? See, in order for us to be a faithful church, we must engage in faithful mission. In order for us to be a faithful church, we must engage in faithful mission. And the mission at hand is is oftentimes dangerous and difficult But it's worth it because our God and Savior is worthy of worship in all of the world. And it's possible because our God is sovereign over all things. So let's jump into our text this morning and may God use it. May God use the preaching of his word to compel us as a local church in Fairfax to go into all the world and make disciples. So again, if you have your Bible, flip open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at three verses, verses 8 through 10 this morning, and see what the Apostle Paul has to say to us, what God's Word has to say to us this morning. Let's place ourselves under it. Let's allow it to speak into our lives this morning. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. Verse 8, chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal 
glory. See, we see in this context and what's going on here, we've talked about this throughout this series. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, who's a young leader in the church, and he's seeking to see Timothy remain faithful. He's seeking to recall Timothy and the church that Timothy's leading to remain faithful. And Paul is sitting in a prison cell as he writes this because Paul has been put in jail, has been put in prison because of preaching the gospel. Now, why is Paul telling Timothy to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead? Is he afraid that Timothy is going to forget that? No, I think the reason that he's saying this to Timothy is not because he's afraid Timothy is going to deny Christ outright. What he's fearful of for Timothy and fearful of for the church is that with all the false gospels that are going on, that are trying to add things to Jesus, with all the pressures and the mess and the brokenness of life, that it could be easy for Timothy and the church to subtly stray away from Jesus. So Paul's saying, Timothy, he's saying, sojourn, when everything around you is a mess, when you're confused about what's going on in your life right now, or in the world right now, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead. Keep your mind fixed on Christ. Because if Christ is risen, if Christ has been raised, then everything has changed. Everything has changed. The world cannot be perceived the same way if Christ has risen again. See, the resurrection is not just a historical event. It is a life-changing reality. It changes everything for you if Christ is raised. Because if Christ has raised, everything he said he came to do has been accomplished. Sin has been paid for. He is the very Son of God. It changes everything. So the resurrection is a reminder to Timothy. It's a reminder to us of our future and glorious hope that Jesus is alive and that Jesus will come again for us and that we'll be be made like him, we'll be with him, and the fullness of his kingdom will come into existence. See, Christ has been raised and Christ is still raised. And right now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for you this morning if you're in Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus, Jesus is interceding for you. He's going before the Father and he's pleading on your behalf because he stood in your place as a substitute. See, that's how he's able to do this. Jesus is able to intercede because he went to the cross. Jesus is able to intercede because he died and rose again. So Paul says, remember Jesus risen from the dead, offspring of David, because he's reminding Timothy and he's reminding us that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised rescuer. Jesus is the sin and serpent crusher. Jesus is the God man who endured the wrath of God on the cross for us so that you and I might be forgiven and set free. Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life of obedience, who has perfect righteousness, who's able to stand before a perfect God, and he gave us that righteousness, and in exchange for that, he took on our sin. So that if we place our faith in Jesus, we also can stand before holy God and be not only accepted, but also loved, as Evan said earlier. That's the gospel that Paul preached. That's the gospel that we preach. That's the good news that all the world needs to hear, that Jesus is everything that you need for life and salvation. Jesus is everything that your neighbor needs for life and salvation. Jesus is everything that the people of Saudi Arabia, North Korea, Sudan, and Japan need for life and salvation. So Paul says, Timothy, remember that. Sojourn, remember that. 
And what's the context and point of what Paul's saying? Why he's saying this to Timothy and to us this morning. Let's look again at verses 8 and 9. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Then he says this, verse 9, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Again, Paul is sitting in a prison cell. He's awaiting execution because he preached this gospel to a world that didn't want to hear it a world that wasn't interested in it and didn't like the effect of the gospel. Remember, it says they turned the world upside down. See, Paul's suffering for the sake of the gospel. Paul's in chains for the sake of the gospel. Paul is going to die for the sake of the gospel. But Paul, even at the end of the life, at the end of his life, even as he sits here, is not without hope. He's not despairing because for Paul, Jesus is still his greatest treasure and his everlasting hope, and he wants it to be that for the world too. He's reminding Timothy of his real suffering for the sake of the gospel going forward into all the world, but he's also rejoicing at the glorious truth that even though Paul sits in a jail cell right now, the gospel is still going forward. It's still going forward into all the world. He may be bound, but God's word isn't bound. He may be in chains, but the gospel cannot be stopped. He may die, but the gospel is eternal. And Jesus said that he would build his church, and the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against it. And here Paul is saying yes and amen to that. Yes and amen. No amount of persecution, no amount of adversity, no amount of difficulty will be able to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. God will get all glory from all nations, and it will happen as the message of the gospel goes out through the mouths of his people. So Paul says, so Paul says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a huge therefore. It's a hugely important therefore. When we see the word therefore, when we read the scriptures, as you read in your own time of the word, when you see that, you always have to think about what came before that. Therefore is a way to say, in light of what I just said. So Paul's saying, in light of Jesus being risen from the dead, in light of Jesus being the Messiah and Savior of the world, in light of the gospel never being bound up, Paul is willing to endure everything, everything for the sake of the elect that they might obtain the same salvation, hearing and believing and being saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot going on here, and I want to make sure that we understand here what Paul is saying, because this is really important for us. If we are going to be a faithful church on faithful mission, engaging in faithful mission, we have to catch what he's saying here. There's this word elect in this text. And for some of us, we know what that means. For others of us, we, it ruffles our feathers a little bit. But what we have to understand this morning is that the doctrine of election is a glorious truth that God has revealed to us throughout his word. We can look at a lot of different places for that. But listen to this one this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Paul writes there. He tells us what God has done. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have everything we need in and through Christ. The inheritance of Christ is ours. Then he says this, even as he chose us, even as he elected us in him before the foundation of the world, for what purpose? 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The word election means to choose. And so if you sit here this morning, if you're in Christ, you've, you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've trusted in the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus, what that means is, is that God chose you before the foundation of the world to be his child. He, he did this before you existed. He did this before you had a past. He did this knowing everything you would ever think or say or do. He did this out of his great grace and mercy and love. See, all of us were lost. None of us were seeking after God. All of us had rebelled against God. All of us were spiritual zombies. We were the walking dead. We're moving about, but we have no spiritual life in us, and that has separated us from God. But God purposed to save you, not because you're great, but because he wanted to display his mercy and grace toward an undeserving people and turn a vessel of wrath into a vessel of mercy. Revelation chapter 7 verse 10 says salvation belongs to our God. That's not something for us to manufacture. It's not something for us to drum up and be able to create on our own or obtain by ourselves. It's a gift of grace from God through Christ who lived for us and died for us that you and I could become sons and daughters of the living God so that we could be adopted into the family of God to be welcomed not only into his kingdom, but to his table as his children. God purposed to do that. It was his work from beginning to end. And that's the good news. That's the best news. Because apart from God working in us, we would never seek after him. Romans chapter 3 verse 11 says that none of us are seeking God. None of us are looking to be and follow God, to be his children, because our sin has separated us from him. Our sin has so affected us from our heads to our toes, inside and out, that none of us want to follow God, to submit our lives to him. All of us are satisfied with being the king of our own kingdoms. See, the truth about your kingdom and my kingdom is that our kingdoms are all a sham. Because at every turn, they're faulty. They're fatal at every turn in every aspect, at the very core, because they're built on a false pretense. They're built on a false pretense that you and I can be God, that we can be the sovereigns over our own lives. But that belief every single time leads to slavery and it leads to death. But God, but God in his grace and his loving kindness set out to redeem a people for his own possession that he might display the riches of his grace as he lavishes that on us in and through Christ. See, God sent his son to rescue. God sent his son to redeem. God sent his son to restore the image of God in us that has been so jacked up by all of our sin and all of our rebellion. And what the doctrine of election says is that God purposed to do something that only he could do. So the doctrine of election really means that he could do, he, God purposed to do something that only he could do, which is bring dead men and women to life. Something only he could do, which is to renew what was broken down. Something only that he could do to redeem that which was enslaved to sin and death. That's the beauty of this. 
And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says there, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. God choosing us has become a source of praise for us. It should be an opportunity for us to worship because we understand that there was nothing in us, past, present, or future, that made us worthy to be called his children, that made us worthy to be reconciled and to be with God forever. God does the electing and choosing not based on any foreseen merit in in us, but only for the praise and glory of his great name, for our good, for his glory. And God's purposes and plans never fail. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. The apostle Paul writes there, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. He made right with him. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul's saying that this is, this is sure God is going to bring this about. Before the foundation of the world, God said, Mine, I will redeem. I will make you my own. I will bind up your wounds and I will set you free. I will be your God and you will be my people. Which means this is a rock-solid promise that God will save people from every tribe, every language, and every nation because from beginning to end, it is God's work to bring about salvation in rebels like you and me. And God's word says he will do that. God's word says at the end that there will be people from every tribe, every language, every nation standing before the throne, praising God for salvation belonging to him. So we can rejoice in that. We can see the doctrine of election saying yes and amen to that. See, what we need to understand this morning is this. This is really important for us. When we hear this, we understand that God has chosen people before the foundation of the world. That does not undercut mission. It empowers it. It doesn't undercut mission, it empowers it. See, Paul is confident that God will save some because God is in the business of redeeming and saving. It it gives Paul confidence and, and the ability to bear up under whatever difficulties come his way, even death, because those whom God has chosen will respond at some point to the gospel. See, election frees us to go and preach Christ and him crucified to anyone and everyone because we know, we know that there will be people in the end from every tribe, every language, and every nation worshiping God at his throne forever and ever. See, church, we have to get this this morning. Jesus died specifically and purposely for people in Fairfax, for people in China, in India, in the Amazon, in North Korea, in Japan, in Bangladesh, in Yemen, in Iran, in Syria, Jesus died for people in all those places. So church, what are we to do with that? We need to go and tell them that. We need to go to them and tell them that. It'd be like if you've received a, a, a gift or a treasure, you've won something massive and, you, and it's yours to take, but you don't know it. You don't know it. You didn't enter into a raffle. You didn't throw your ticket into a thing and you got picked out. You didn't get bingo on your scorecard. That's not what happened. But a treasure has been given to you, and all you need to know is someone needs to come and tell you it's yours. It's free to take. It's all of yours. It's available to you. See, redemption's already been accomplished. Jesus says it is finished on the cross, and now it needs to be applied to your life. Will you take it? So we as the church go, and we as the church proclaim, but we trust God with the results. And it's because of this truth that Paul says he is willing to endure everything. He he is willing to suffer. 
He's willing to go to prison. He's willing to be beaten. He's willing to be threatened. He's willing to even be killed for the sake of the elect that they might hear the good news of the gospel, that they might believe and obtain the salvation that is theirs in Christ Jesus. Why is Paul willing to do this? Because he believes that Jesus is who he said he is and has done what he said he came to do. Because he believes that Jesus is worthy of worship in all the world. Because he believes that Jesus called the church to go into all the world and make disciples. Because Paul believes God will save people from all nations and that his plans and his purposes are sure. See, as one pastor puts it, the certainty that there are elect does not make me stop preaching or stop suffering. It makes me confident that my preaching and my suffering will not be in vain. The elect will obtain salvation. See, the victory of salvation is sure because Christ is risen, because the gospel is not bound, and because God has chosen undeserving sinners to be saved for eternal glory. And so Paul's telling Timothy and us, we can endure everything knowing that God will use us as an instrument in someone else's life that they might obtain salvation. Man, what a joy, what a privilege you and I have. If we know Christ, that God would use you, that God would use me to open up our mouths, to share the good news of the risen Christ and call people to himself to bring them from death to life. See, God will bring his people home. So go and tell them. Go and tell them. Go to your neighbors and the nations and share the only true and lasting hope to a truly broken world. But that begs the question for us this morning, what are we willing to endure? What are we willing to endure? I mean, we could step back from it. I was just thinking about this this week. Just in general in life, what are the things that we are willing to endure? And I would say it's things that we feel have a high probability of a favorable outcome. We are willing to endure difficulty when there's a high probability of a favorable outcome. Think about childbirth. I haven't had a baby. My wife has had three. So this is just vicariously looking into the reality of her life, right? But we've had three kids, and you see that the, the, the process of pregnancy is difficult. It's uncomfortable. There's lots of sometimes vomiting at the beginning and discomfort at the end. It's not a great nine months but that's not the end. Then you have to actually go have the baby. And whether that's through C-section or naturally, it is a difficult process. It's a difficult process. But she is able to endure that because of the, the high probability of a favorable outcome on the other side that she'll get to hold a little girl or a little boy see this new life in her hands so she can endure anything and everything through that to see this come to fruition. Maybe you're in college right now or in grad school right now. And there's a high probability of a favorable outcome if you put in a lot of work and a lot of effort that at the end of the day you'll receive a diploma, you'll have a degree, either your your undergrad or your grad degree, and you'll be able to hopefully, Lord willing, go and get a job with that because you have that. But you've had to put in a lot of hours, a lot of work, a lot of effort. You have to endure something for the sake of something you believe has a high, probable, favorable outcome. So when we read this text... We think about mission then, taking the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. We have to ask ourselves, why then are we unwilling to endure for the sake of the elect? Why are we unwilling to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of the gospel going forward locally and globally when we know that God has people in all over the world that are his? I mean, we have Jesus. 
He's the hope of the world, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who will make all things new. Why are we unwilling to endure to bring the gospel to people who need to hear it and believe it? I think it goes back to verse 8. Because we don't remember the gospel and that Christ is risen. Because we don't remember what Christ has accomplished. Because we don't remember our helpless state apart from him. So then when you and I encounter the brokenness of the world and we see the hopelessness that exists around us, we might respond with sympathy or sadness, but not with solution. We might respond with sympathy or sadness, but not with solution because we forget Jesus is our only hope. And oftentimes we're way too caught up in our own lives and circumstances, our own wants, our own desires and dreams, our own pursuits to lift up our eyes and see the broken and the hurting and the lost and the dead that need to hear the good news that we so often take for granted in our own lives. See, church, if Jesus is not precious to us, then he will not be on our lips to share with others. If Jesus is not precious to us, then we will not share the hope we have in him with anyone else. So let me ask you this morning, is Jesus precious to us as a church? Is Jesus truly precious to us? Is Jesus precious to you in your own life? If we are going to be a faithful church, we must engage in faithful mission. But the fuel for that mission is not guilt or obligation. The fuel for that mission is the gospel. The fuel for that mission is the fame, the global fame of Jesus. The fuel for that mission is the favorable outcome that God has people from every tribe, every language, every nation who he said are mine. See, Jesus has called us, his people, you and me, to go into all the world and make disciples. So what we have to ask is, are we going to be obedient to God's call to go? Are we going to be obedient to that? Have you ever wondered sometimes why we call it mission? I mean, you say, why do we call it mission? Why do we talk about being on mission? The reason we call it mission is because we're in the midst of a war, and we have people behind enemy lines right now that need to be rescued. We're in the midst of a war, and there are people that need to be rescued. And the local church is the forward operating base to achieve that mission. Forward operating base is somewhere deep into the territory of where we're trying to go. And the local church is that forward operating base, an enemy territory that's saying, we're going out and we are taking the message of the gospel to people who need to hear it. It's from here as we gather together as the church that we are built up in Christ. And it's from here that we go out with the message of Christ. We gather together as the church and then we scatter throughout the week as missionaries on mission with the gospel. See, the local church is God's primary mission strategy in the world. And our mission and our mandate as a local church then must be to multiply as many communities of grace all around this region, all around this world, so that more and more people might hear and believe and be transformed by the gospel. So what does that look like for us? What does that look like for us, a little church here in Fairfax, to endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they might obtain salvation? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this to the disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What we see from this text is that global means local. Global mission means local mission. When we talk about global mission, we're talking about the globe all of the world. And Jesus himself says, I want you to go out to Jerusalem. I want you to go to your local community. 
I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. I want you to go to your local region. And I want you to go to the ends of the earth to tell people about Jesus. So let's break that down for us. What does that look like for us? Our Jerusalem is Fairfax. There are 175,000 people that have a Fairfax address. 175,000 people. That's not including the surrounding areas that, that border right around people who have a Fairfax address. If you add all that in there, then there it goes up to 400,000 people, almost a half a million people that are in Fairfax and the immediate surrounding areas. And the centrality of Fairfax is important for our vision and our mission as a church of making and multiplying disciples. It's from here, from here, right here in Fairfax that we can reach a whole region. Fairfax is right in the middle of Fairfax County, which is right in the middle of Northern Virginia, which is right in the middle of the greater D.C. metro area. From here, we can reach this region with the gospel. So Sojourn Church is a forward-operating base for faithful gospel mission in this area. From here, we deploy each week into the community as ambassadors for Jesus. We go bearing the name of Jesus and we go with the message of Jesus as we go in our neighborhoods, as we go in our schools, as we go in our workplaces, in our families. All of us are always going. Staying cannot be a part of our vernacular. Jesus didn't call any of us to stay. He called us all to go and we're all going in our Jerusalem and as you go, and you can go in confidence, knowing and believing the truth of Acts 18.10, that there are many in this city who are God's people. Man, I believe there are people in Fairfax right now that God purposed to save. I believe that. It's your neighbors. It's your people that you work with. It's people that you interact with at Starbucks or a restaurant, or you walk by on the street, or you pass in the grocery store. God has purposed to save people here in Fairfax. So what does it look like for us to endure everything for the sake of the elect here? It looks like us serving our neighbors. It looks like us sacrificing our time and our money and our personal space, our personal time to invite people into our lives and be willing to step into other people's lives with the hope of the gospel, to enter into the mess of other people's lives. Say, man, I'm here for you. I want to be your friend. I want to journey with you. I want to walk with you because I have the hope that you need. Brothers and sisters, I long to see revival happen here in Fairfax. I long to see the Spirit do something amazing here in Fairfax where we see hundreds if not thousands of people coming to know Christ. I long to see revival happen at George Mason University where there's 35,000 students, students from all over Virginia, all over the U.S. and all over the world here to learn for a season, a small city that exists within our city. I long to see revival. There were thousands upon thousands of students come to know Christ. Man, God can do that work, and we can be a part of that when we take the mission mandate of G King Jesus seriously, when we see our lives as evangelistic events to invite people into, with all the mess and all the grace of the gospel to overcome. Look, your life doesn't have to be perfect. You can just be honest with people and say, look, my life is a mess. Sometimes it's a train wreck, but Jesus is good, and he has saved me, and he is changing me, and he's my hope. It'll happen when we see our workplace as the space that God has given to us to be a light and to share the hope of Christ. Think about this. Wherever you work right now, you're getting paid to be on mission. Now listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't do your job, okay? You're paid to be on mission. You're paid to do your job. You need to be the best worker in your workplace. You need to be the best worker in your workplace because you don't work for men. You work for God. Everything you do is an opportunity to glorify the King of Kings, 
but you're there in that place. You work at Booz Allen, you work at Deloitte, you work at the Department of Defense or Bank of America or Custom Inc. or Fairfax Hospital. You work in that place. God has placed you there and you're getting a paycheck to be on mission, to be an ambassador for Jesus. You have opportunities to build relationships with your coworkers and work the best, be the best worker possible there to the glory of God so that others might see the hope you have in Christ. We can be on faithful mission in our Jerusalem, in Fairfax, in their surrounding area when we start doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Praying that the Lord would give us opportunity, and I believe he gives that to us every single day. It helps us to open our eyes and see the opportunities we have to share the hope we have in Jesus. And who is God calling you to share Christ with? Who is in your life right now that God has placed there for you to share the hope you have? Who's coming to mind right now? Who's on your heart right now? Man, I believe the Spirit right now is there's somebody on your mind, there's somebody on your heart right now that God has called you to share the hope you have in Christ. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have a perfect theological treatise for anything. You have Jesus. You can share Jesus with those people. Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Brothers and sisters, let's be faithful to what God has called us to, to be willing to and do everything for the sake of that person, hearing and believing the gospel. And there's much work to be done in Fairfax for Sojourn Church. There's much work to be done. But it doesn't stop with our Jerusalem. God has also called us to go into our Judea and Samaria as well. Our Judea and Samaria is the greater D.C. metro area. There are one point, almost 1.2 million people in Fairfax County. And there are about 6 million people in the whole D.C. metro region as a whole. And we as a church in Fairfax, by ourselves, cannot reach those 6 million people. But God has designed a way for that to happen. See, the way that God calls us to reach the region that we find ourselves in is by planting more and more local churches so that more and more forward operating bases exist and can be established so that more and more people might hear and believe the gospel. And right now, as a church, we are praying about planting two churches in the next two years so that more people might hear the gospel. There might be more gospel outposts in this region. And listen, brothers and sisters, this is going to require sacrifice for us as a church. Because as a church, we need to send disciple makers. As a church, we need to send resources. As a church, we need to send leaders. And we need leaders to stay here and resources to stay here and disciple makers to be here too. Yes, that's right. But we need to send those people out on these church plants. And by God's grace, we will plant two churches in two years, but it won't stop there. By God's grace, we'll continue to raise up church planters and leaders and plant more and more churches all over this region and see all those church plants work together to plant more and more churches that this area might be inundated with local churches preaching Christ and Him crucified. Surgeon, we can endure all things and do all things because of Him who works in us and through us. If it was up to us on our own, it would be scary and daunting. It's scary and daunting in and of itself, but if it was up to us, it'd be impossible. But it's not up to us. We need to remember the God who's called us, the God who called everything into existence by the word of his mouth, the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Remember, Christ is risen. We can endure everything for the sake of the elect. So, man, church, to do this, let's pray desperately. Let's go before the Lord on our knees and say, Lord, help us. Lord, guide us. Lord, direct us. Lord, give us everything we need to do this. Lord, how can I be a part of this? Do you want me to be a sender? Do you want me to go? 
What does it look like, Lord, for us to be about seeing the gospel go forward all over the D.C. metro area? But see, it doesn't just stop with our Jerusalem, and it doesn't just stop with our Judea and Samaria. God has called us to go to the ends of the earth as well, to endure everything for the sake of the elect in the nations. We said this a few weeks ago. There are 7.2 billion people in the world, and some 6 billion of those people do not know Christ. There are 6,000 unreached people groups right now, meaning there's not an adequate witness of the gospel there in that place, in that people group. 3,000 of those six are unengaged with the gospel. There's not even anybody trying to reach those people. That means there's some 200 million people right now who likely will be born, live, and die and never hear the name of Jesus. As a church, we cannot sit by and not engage with that. As a church, we cannot sit by and not engage with that because our God's heart is for the nations. His heart is for the nations to know him and for his glory to fill the earth that he might be worshipped in the city center of Tokyo and Tehran to the remotest village of Somalia and Sumatra. Man, is, is our God worthy of that worship in those places? So my hope and desire for us as a church is that we as a local church in Fairfax would engage in global mission, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and that we'll do that through training helping all of us to have a global perspective. There are people from all over the nations here right now. There are unreached people groups at George Mason University right now. There are unreached people groups all over us that are sitting among us that you work around right now. So we need to have a global perspective. We need to understand the reality of the world we live in. And we have an awesome opportunity coming up for that that I'm going to tell you about in our announcements today. But we need to train one another. Next year, Lord willing, we're going to send out two to three short-term mission teams to different places in the world to work alongside long-term missionaries that we might get out and go to the nations. This looks like us adopting unreached people groups as a church and as community groups, praying for them and engaging with them. And lastly, what I hope and desire is to see God raise up men and women that are part of this church right now to go, to go on midterm and long-term assignments to the nations, particularly to the unreached and unengaged. Man, there's somebody sitting in this room right now, I believe, there may be multiple people, I hope, that God is calling, that God is calling you right now. You know right now God is calling you to go to the nations, and we as a local church want to equip you and send you out. We want to send you out. And this will happen as we get on our knees and we ask the Lord, what would you have me do? As one pastor says, we put a blank check out there and say, God, what would you have me do? Here's my life. I'm going to open up my life. I'm going to open up my hands. I'm going to open up my life to you, to God. What would you have me do with this to take the gospel to the end of the earth? Man, I'm excited for what God is doing. I believe God is doing something right now in our church to stir that up within us. I'm excited for what's coming down the pike for us as a church. But now let's be fasting and praying and be attentive to the Spirit together. Why do we do all this? Because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he came to do what he said he came to do. Because we believe Jesus is worthy of worship in all the world. Because we believe Jesus has called us as his people to go into all the world and make disciples. Because we believe that God is and will save people from all nations, and that his plans and his purposes are sure, because we love those people. Because we love the broken and the lost, and we want them to know and experience the hope of Christ. And maybe this morning you don't yet know Christ, and you think, man, this just sounds a little weird to me. I, I don't know what I think about all this. You're talking about, you're talking about me, because I don't yet know Christ. 
Listen, I, I hope what you hear this morning from me, I hope what you understand from this church, what you hear in what I'm saying is that we love you. And if we truly love you and we believe that Jesus is the only hope for everyone, then out of love, we have to communicate that to you. So this morning, I want you to know that we believe that Jesus is the answer, that he died on the cross for your sin. Would you turn to him today? Would you place your faith in Christ today? We want you to know Jesus. That's why we're here. And get involved in this church. Plug into a community group. Ask somebody around you, would you tell me more about Jesus? Because we want you to experience that hope too. Sojourn, we can go and we can endure everything because God will save people. We can go and endure everything because Jesus promises to be with us. For the church to be on mission, all of us need to pray, all of us need to give, and all of us need to go. We, again, we're all going all the time. We want God to be worshiped and glorified here, there, and everywhere in all the earth. We are the church sent and sending, not the church settled. We're not here to be comfortable, we're here to go out. So together, let's faithfully pray, let's faithfully give, and let's faithfully go, being willing to endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also, they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory that you and I already have. Sojourn, we have the hope our broken world needs, and his name is Jesus, and he is risen. Can we turn this world upside down once again? As we come to the table today, we come to be filled up in an act of worship. But we also come to be sent out. The bread and the cup remind us that Jesus gave himself up for us, that you and I could be redeemed and reconciled to God but it also reminds us there are many people, many people, millions of people who have not yet heard or believed that we are called to go and tell this good news to. So as you eat and drink this morning, remembering that Christ's body was broken for you and that Christ's blood was shed for you, rejoice in that amazing grace that God has given to you. And may it compel you to be the sent and sending that others might glorify God with you. And for those of you that don't yet know Christ, I just ask you not to come forward this morning to take communion. And the reason for that is because this is a declaration for us that our hope is in Jesus. And so if that's not you yet, we just ask you to stay in your seat. And instead of taking communion, I want to invite you again to take Christ today. Take him today. He's willing and wanting to save you. Turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Again, if you have questions about that, please feel free to come talk to me or any of our other leaders. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or head to the back and tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you, once again, will be spoken over you. Rejoice in that good news this morning, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a faithful church. We've been praying for that. We've been walking through that in your scriptures over these last few weeks. And so I pray once again this morning that you would help us to be a faithful church. Help us, Father, to open our hearts and our minds. Help us, Father, to open our hands. Help us to open our lives and send us out. 
Send us out, God. Help us to be faithful to open up our mouths that others might hear the good news of Christ from our lips. And Father, I pray once again, by the power of your spirit, you would bring revival to this place, to Fairfax. I pray you'd bring revival to this area, to the D.C. metro region. I pray you'd bring revival to George Mason University. I pray you'd bring revival to the nations. Father, there are people here, there are people all over the world who you purpose for the, for the foundation of the world to call into your family as your sons and daughters. Send us out, God, that they might hear the message of Christ and by hearing, believing, by believing, know you and be redeemed and reconciled. Lord, we need your help. Help us, empower us to be a faithful church for your glory, for our good and the good of others. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.